0: You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Glad all of you are here today. We're in a series called Over, and what we're doing is we're walking through the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy was written by Paul. He was writing the letter to Timothy, a young believer, a young leader, a young pastor there in Ephesus. And the last couple of weeks, we have seen some of the incredible ways that, that Paul has has given words of mentorship to Timothy, some words of, of wisdom. And wouldn't we all, this morning, wouldn't we all like to have a mentor, someone to kind of help us to navigate decisions and to to know uh, the, the best next step to take? In a very real way, Paul becomes that, of course, for Timothy, but because the power of the Holy Spirit... Paul in his writing also that becomes, he becomes a mentor for us as well, a, a hero in the faith, a standard in the faith. And we can watch how the, the, the word of the Lord and the work of the Lord in his life is still so significant for us today and how, how we live our lives. Uh, Timothy lived there in Ephesus and the last couple of weeks just kind of trying to study a little bit more about Ephesus, realized there's a lot of similarities between Ephesus and, and Waco. In the time of of Timothy, in the time of Paul writing this letter to Timothy, um, Ephesus had about 140,000 people in it, so very close to the same size of Waco. Uh, It was a a town of education. It was a a college town. There were a lot of students there. There was a lot of places of study. Uh, There was a library there. I think I mentioned this last week, the Library of, of Celsus there in Ephesus was the second largest library in the entire Roman Empire. Uh, there were places of worship. In fact, one of the uh, the seven wonders of the world was there in Ephesus, the Temple of Artemis. Of course, Waco has the eighth wonder of the world, the, the Dr Pepper Museum, and so we're very similar in that in that way. Uh, it was a young town; a lot of young people there, as young demographics of Ephesus, just like there is in Waco. A lot of young families, a lot of a lot of students. Uh, we see that in Waco. You can look around the room and and see that as well. There are a lot of a lot of similarities between those. Between those two cities, um, Ephesus was on a, a major thoroughfare. Uh, it was on the way from Babylon to the east and Smyrna down to the north, and it was a well-traveled place. Um, it was a place of commerce, and kind of the same way you think about Waco being in between you know, Dallas and Austin, or Dallas and, and San Antonio, Dallas-Fort Worth, and metroplex, and, and down south on that major artery of, of I-35. Another interesting thing about Ephesus that I see here in our town is that the Lord just brought a lot of a lot of believing leaders. There were a lot of Christian movements that, that began there in Ephesus. I, I've seen that. I see that uh, here in Waco today. A lot of church plants in Ephesus. Certain, a lot of church plants uh, here in Waco. So a lot of similarities. There was actually some Roman entrepreneurs that were kind of redoing downtown Ephesus. It was uh, Chippus and Joannis were their names <laughs> at that time. And it was the, the Silotariums. I don't know if you've heard of that before back in, back in the day. Certainly a lot of, a lot of similarities. Uh, they're both great places to live. You know, the brochures were very nice. But there was this vile underbelly, I think, of both towns. Just these, these deep temptations. A lot, of, a lot of deeds done in darkness in both of these cities. A lot of spiritual warfare. A lot of, a lot of things happening, the Bible might say, in, in, in heavenly places. Kind of in the unseen realm. In fact, you might remember it was Paul that actually wrote the church there in Ephesus in the book of Ephesians and it was reminding them, you're not wrestling against flesh and blood. You're wrestling against things that you cannot see like princes of darkness and unseen dark forces. I guess I remind you this morning of the similarities. And I think there are several, even several more between Ephesus and Waco to remind you that this is not just some letter written solely to an audience 2,000 years ago, but because the word of the Lord is, is alive, it is a word to us today. This is for today. This is for here. This is for now. This is for us. The last two weeks, we have pitted two words against each other. Uh, Thus, the the sermon series of over. So two weeks ago, we talked about choosing wisdom over foolishness. Last week, we talked about choosing truth over deception. But the two words I have for us today are are God's mercy over my mess. And it's not really, just for you to know, it's not a, a choosing. It's a receiving. Am I going to receive the mercy of God over the mess that we can all make in our lives? God's mercy, His mercy over my mess. With your copy of God's word, as you go with me, please, to the book of 1 Timothy. This is where we stopped off last week, and so we're gonna pick it back up again. 1 Timothy, we made it to verse 7 the last few weeks, and so let's get into verse 8 this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 1, let's go to verse 8 together. I always encourage you to, to bring a copy of God's word with you, whether it be in paper form or digital form. So if you wanna pull up your app on your phone or your tablet, that'd be great. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter one together. I'll be in verse eight, starting in verse eight this morning. If you forgot your Bible, I'm certain someone nice next to you will be glad to to share with you. 1 Timothy 1, eight, Paul writes, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless, for the disobedient, for the ungodly, for, for sinners. The law is laid down for the unholy, for the profane. Let me stop right there and, and remind you something that Paul just said here in verse 8 that you may want to understand. We need to understand this together. You might not even want to write this down. The law is good, but it is not good news. In other words, the law is unbelievably beneficial. For even followers of Christ, the the law is a good thing for us, but it is not good news. The law is good, but it's not the gospel. Maybe it helped to kind of define what the law is all about. The law in the Old Testament were these heavy, often added rules and regulations that simply were impossible for us to follow, impossible for us to obey. And if you did disobey one of those laws that were seemingly impossible to obey, then you had to go through a series of very detailed sacrifices, and those sacrifices had to be laid before the Lord in a perfect manner. That was the law. It was, it was heavy. It reminded us, as, as Paul says right here in, in verse 9, it reminded us of, of, of who we were as the lawless. It reminded us of who we were as the ungodly, as, as sinners, as unholy, as, as the profane. So the law is good, not that it puts us in right standing with God, but the law is good because it reminds us that we need to be in right standing with God. The law was constantly reminding us that it was not about approving. The law wasn't about approval of, of the conduct of religious people. The law was there to expose us for who we really are and to convict us that everyone in this house and everyone in this world, we need a savior and we're, we're looking for salvation. Someone please rescue me because in light of the law, I'm ungodly. In light of the, of the law, I can't do this. The law is, is a lot like a mirror. You know, a mirror is gonna give you an accurate reading. Sadly, every time. You know, I might think that that my gut's kind of small, and then I go in front of the mirror and I get an accurate reading. It's like, man, gut pack indeed. I've been at VTEX way too many times this last few weeks. Because I get an accurate reading from that. I, I think in my mind that like my hair. Is lush and long and full, and then I go to the mirror and I get an accurate reading. It's like, oh, where did that hair go? Like I, I first realized that my hair was receding when I noticed it took me longer and longer to wash my face. So I'm like, man, there's just so much more skin up there than there. <laughs> yeah, some of y'all are laughing at me. One day we'll be laughing at you. I'll remember this day that you laughed aloud. The mirror gives us an accurate reading of what. What, what truly is. I have a chip in my tooth and if you come close enough to me, you'll see that I have a chip in my tooth. I always forget about that chip in my tooth until I look in the mirror and then I get an accurate reading. I'm like, man, you could Drive a Prius through that thing. There's such a big chip on the bottom of my tooth. I get an accurate reading. I might think that my tooth is okay. I might feel good about my teeth until I go to the mirror and I get this accurate reading in the same way this is what the law does. I I thought I could handle my own life. I thought I could deal with my own sin. I thought I could shepherd myself. I thought I was doing better than he was or she was. I thought I was doing more good things than bad things. But then I look at the law and it gave me an accurate reading. I was guilty. You see, the law is a little bit like like a doctor's diagnosis. It might seem like everything is okay on the outside, but then I go to the doctor and he looks on the inside. And he sees my heart and he sees my systems. And he might find something there that I wouldn't see just looking on the outside. And he might come to me and say, I have a diagnosis. I have have found something for you. But not only do I have a diagnosis, I also have a remedy. This is what the law does. The law comes to us and inspects us and it goes deep on the inside and goes, wait a minute, there is a diagnosis. It's terminal. You have an unbelievable sickness. It's inside of you. It's that sickness of sin. But the good news of the law also, the reason the law is good is that it points us to the remedy. In fact, it's a reversing remedy. It's the blood and the life and the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. This is what the law is like, it's like a mirror, it's like a, um, it's like a doctor's diagnosis, being able to look deep within. The law really is also like a, a red Kool-Aid stain on a white shirt or red wine, if you're a Methodist or Presbyterian, whatever. You know, like red Kool-Aid, like on a, on a white shirt, just to kind of pull us all in together in the analogy this morning. Like when you see that red spot in the middle of a a white shirt, it stands out in the same way even if we have a little sin or or a little addiction or it doesn't seem as much as everyone else's sins in in our city or in our circle of friends or in our world. Our one sin, it stands out against the perfect, ethical holiness and the law of God. You see, just that one spot ruins the garment. Even that one sin marks us as guilty. Now Paul's gonna start unpacking these specific sins or if you will, the specific messes that our sin has brought about. And so Paul continues to write here. So let's go back to 1 Timothy and get a good running start here in verse nine again. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, it's laid down for the lawless, for the disobedient, for the ungodly, for sinners, for the unholy, for the profane. And specifically, it's laid down for those who strike their fathers and their mothers. It's laid down for murderers. The sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and here's the catch-all, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I just want you to see in these verses, specifically these eight messes that humanity has made. In verse 9, humanity has made a mess of the family for those who strike or hit violently their fathers, their mothers. Humanity has made a mess of the sanctity of life, verse 10, for murderers. Humanity has made a mess of the gift of sex within the context of marriage, the sexually immoral. Humanity has made a mess of sexuality, men who practice homosexuality. Humanity has made a mess of human Dignity, the word here is enslavers. Uh, in, in Greek is the word andropathetes. And andropathetes is a perfect, perfectly defined as a human trafficker. Uh, andro, man. potates means to wrap up their feet. And so it's a picture of hundreds of years later of the slave trade. But also in, in present day, human trafficking. Maybe society really hasn't progressed that much in 2,000 years. There's this mess that we have made of human dignity by enslaving others. The humanity has made also a mess of the truth, liars. Humanity has made a mess of justice, perjurers. Humanity has made a mess of everything else. Verse 10, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. And I think all of us in this house, we understand that those eight things have messed up families, have messed up marriages, have messed up friendships, have messed up our concept Of God, they have messed up the understanding that we're made in the image of God. It has messed up what is right. It has messed up what is true. It has messed up our hearts. And then we've just messed up everybody else. This was the indictment of the law. It's good because it reminds us. The mess that we have made. It reminds us of the mess our flesh has made. It reminds us of the mess that humanity has made. You might want to write this next statement down somewhere. This is kind of the turning point of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Our enemy and our flesh, they have taken what is beautiful and they've ruined it. When I say they, I mean we. There's a very real enemy. I believe that with all my heart because I believe scripture. I know that we have an enemy that loves to take beautiful things and, and ruin it, but I also know my flesh. I think we probably all understand our flesh. How we can take beautiful things and ruin it. What beautiful things would I be talking about? I'm talking about the exact opposite of everything in verse nine, 10, and 11. We have taken beautiful things like family, like life, like marriage, like sexuality within marriage, like human dignity, like truth, like that which is just, that which is pure, that which is right, and we have ruined it. And if I were to stop right there, there would be no gospel delivered today. If also I stopped right there, we always all go. Yep, yeah, that sounds about right. Everything that was once beautiful, either we're going to mess it up, or the enemy already has messed it up. But stay with me, because here's the turn of the mercy of God. Our enemy and our flesh have taken what is beautiful and ruined it, but Jesus loves to take what is ruined and make it beautiful again. Whatever it is that you've ruined. Whatever it is that feels so messed up, whatever it is that I have ruined, whatever it is that I have messed up, Jesus can take those things. This is the power of Christ, the grace of Christ, the love of Christ, the redemption of Christ, the sovereignty of Christ. He can take anything in our lives that's so messed up, so ruined, and make it beautiful again. So here comes the turn in 1 Timothy chapter one of the mercy of God. Look with me, please, at 1 Timothy chapter one, verse 12. And I thank him. Speaking of God the Father, I thank him who has given me strength. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now here Paul says, Jesus has judged me, which means he has counted me, or he has placed on top of me this title, you are faithful. Now, Paul had to be shocked at this, because Paul's about to unwind for us all of his messes. He's not just indicting us with this word. He's about to indict himself in his own mess before he received the mercy of God over his mess. But he says here that Jesus has judged me. He has counted me faithful. And I think that every believer in this house, we should be shocked every time we consider this, that Jesus found us worthy by the grace of God to deposit inside of us the gospel. That should floor us every time that's considered. That should overwhelm us with love and praise and worship and desiring to live a life that honors the Lord. That should, that should, that's the compelling nature to move us toward holiness. That that God would judge me faithful, would see something in me by the grace of God that in me he would deposit and place the gospel. Now Paul begins to talk about himself. He's still overwhelmed. Wait a minute. He appointed me to his service. He judged me faithful. Though formally, here's the mess. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was an insolent opponent. Opponent of who? Opponent of God. I mean, Paul is saying here, like, I was, I was against God. I was against the gospel. You might remember his biography. He was killing Christians or holding the coats of those who did, nodding with approval. So he's saying, let me tell you what kind of mess I made of my life. I've just pointed out eight messes that humanity has made. Let me tell you about the messes i made in my life. I was a blasphemer. I killed other people. I was a murderer. I was a persecutor. And again, he says here, I was an opponent. I was against God. I was an enemy of God. And this is something that I probably don't say near enough, but every daughter and son of God in this house, before we were adopted as daughters and sons of God, we were enemies of God. Not just bad people. Not just not going to church. Not just kind of the other side of life. We were dead and and we were enemies of God. This is what is so amazing about the grace, the inexhaustible grace of God, that God in his love would chase down his enemies to make them his friends. That's grace. That's the beauty of the gospel. Look what it says here. I had received mercy. Here's our key word today, verse 13. But I received mercy because of that mess I was in. I was acting so ignorantly. I was acting in unbelief. I did not know. I did not believe in the gospel. Look at verse 14. I love 14. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. Uh, in Greek, it's, it, it, it translates, it, it superflowed. It was super toward me and over me. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is saying, you've got a lot of sin? Yes, I've got more grace to cover it. My sins, they were many, but God's grace was so much more. And in this passage, I think we're reminded that all of us in this house, we were so much more sinful than we could have ever imagined, but we are so much more loved than we can ever conceive. This is the grace of God. It over. Flowed, Paul, it overflowed everyone here today who is in Christ Jesus. So he says now here in verse 15, and this saying I'm about to give you is trustworthy and it's deserving of full acceptance. In other words, everyone believed this and received this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Foremost, your Bible might say I'm, I'm the worst. It's a word we all know in Greek. It's the word proto, like prototype. A prototype is something, the first model of something, right? So what Paul is saying here was, I was the first model of a mess. Like I was the chief of all sinners. I had made a mess of my life. I had made a mess of others. I was pushing back as an enemy of God against his grace. I am the prototype of the most messed up person is what Paul is saying Verse 15 again, this saying is trustworthy. It's deserving of our full acceptance this morning that Christ Jesus came into the world to save, and I'll put in parentheses, messed up sinners of whom I am the foremost. Verse 16 though, but I received. Here's that, the word but in the Bible, it, that's, a great, that's a great word, but with, with one T, but. Circle that word every now and then because it's like this big turn in the Bible. But, listen to this, but I received Mercy. I was the prototype of the worst sinner. I was the the, the first model of a mess. But I received mercy for this reason. That in me, as that foremost, as that proto, as that model of the mess, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul's saying, listen, I was the worst. But... Because I was the worst, I am now a chief candidate of the inexhaustible grace of God. Because I was at the very bottom, because I was the absolute worst, I'm now a chief candidate for the mercy of God. And if you're in this house today and you feel like, you know, I've just ruined everything. I've ruined my marriage, I've ruined my friendships, I've ruined my relationships with others. I've ruined my finances, I've ruined my my studies, I've ruined my reputation, I've ruined my, my testimony, I've ruined my sexual purity. I've ruined everything that was right. I want you to hear me clearly. If you're here today and you too would say, I'm the chief of all mess makers and here I am today and I'm the worst of them all, I'm the prototype of those who have ruined everything, please hear this, there's a wideness to God's mercy. It's the love of God displayed in the person, the cross, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying here, I love this in verse 16. Paul is saying here, I'm a trophy of the gospel. I was dead and out. I was an enemy of God. I had made a mess of everything. I had ruined everything, but God in his mercy, through Christ Jesus, I am now a trophy of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel goes something like this. Man, we are sinners of such great depth and profundity that we could not save ourselves. So God came in human form as the son, Jesus Christ, and went to a cross after living a perfect life to die for the sins of humanity for anyone who would believe and then rose again on the third day to prove he was the son of God so that anyone who would believe by faith, in that grace of God, their sins would be forgiven and they would live forever. And Paul is saying, that is what I'm a beneficiary of. That is who I am. I'm a trophy of the gospel of Jesus. And what does this move in him to do? What, what is he now gonna do? I love this, verse 17. He's gonna bust into song, I think. He's gonna worship the Lord. Look what it says here in verse 17. After he understands, I'm a trophy of the gospel of Jesus. Then he says, so to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And everybody said, amen. Paul understands who he is. That he was a terrible sinner who had made a mess of everything. But then God displayed a greater mercy It was displayed to him in Christ. In fact, it says here in verse 16 that Christ had that perfect patience toward him, the perfect patience of Jesus. And now what does he have to do? He has to worship. He has to say, this is God. A lot of theology in these few short verses. So some of y'all who come to church, which is great to get the bottom line, like what does this mean for me tomorrow morning? Let me give give you one thing. First of all, I hope that we all come to church to hear what God says. I think that's probably why you get up and fight the parking and fight the traffic and fight going back to sleep, whatever that might be, whatever your fight is on a Sunday morning. Not because you wanna hear what the preacher says or sing a few great songs. I think you're here because the bottom line, what does God say about this? Here's what I would say to you for this week. Our lives with us at the center, creates a miserable mess and some of you don't have to say amen but you're right there right now you have placed yourself at the center of your life and you've watched the mess begin to happen let me say this in love from someone who's made some messes in his life also the more you keep yourself at the center of your life the messier the messes become Our lives with us at the center creates a miserable mess, but here's what Paul realized in his testimony. But our lives with merciful Jesus at the center, it always creates life. And so you probably could say amen to that because once you were also a chief sinner then you realize because the mercy of God, you're now a trophy of the gospel of Jesus. And you could say, with a lot of people in this house this morning, this room today, you know what, once Christ, I understand Christ is the center, he is filled with perfect patience and he is merciful toward me, then I begin to see life happen and not messes. If you're not in Christ Jesus, let me say this in a lot of love, your life is a mess. And you probably know that without me saying that to you. You feel like you've ruined a lot of things. Can I plead with you as one who is also a trophy of the gospel of Christ to receive Jesus today? Let merciful Christ be your savior. Say yes to his mercy as it reaches to you today. Or if you're in Christ Jesus today and all you can think of right now are your past messes or maybe the mess you put yourself into as a daughter or a son of God, here's your choice today to receive a mercy that is bigger and better than your mess. Would you stand with me please and let's pray together. Father, we believe this word. We want to receive it as a trustworthy statement that Christ Jesus came and died for sinners of which all of us in this room were prototypes. The model of ruining things, the model of making messes of ourselves and of others. But God, God, in his mercy offers to us this gift of everlasting life this gift of forgiveness by believing in faith that Christ is the Son of God, went to a cross on our behalf went to a grave and then conquered death so God pray I plead with those here today who do not know Christ to believe upon him today he forgives and redeems everything that we have ruined. For those who are in Christ Jesus today, we're going to receive your mercy, O God, over our mess. A mercy that calls us to righteousness now. A mercy that calls us to live holy lives. Father, we thank you behalf of every daughter and every son of God in this room, thank you that all of us are trophies of your gospel, trophies of your grace. We pray this in the strong name of the one who delivered that mercy, Christ alone.